Good morning, everyone. Wonderful. Good morning, everybody listening online or watching on Facebook. Welcome to Norwood Free Methodist Church. <clears throat> I got a fun message today, I feel, because uh, I don't actually have a message today, which is cool. But I do. <laughs> I'm good with it. I'm good with it. I'm learning to just relax with it about it, that uh, I show up, and if you make yourself available to God, go figure. He uses the least of us, which is awesome. So here's what I'm going to do, <laughs> and I got this idea from doing it yesterday with my children. Um, so here's the thing. <clears throat> The Gospels, the biographies of Jesus Christ, were not written right away. Now, I've heard people use that as evidence against the Gospels, but one semester of sociology will help you realize that at that time, it was, it was not a written language or society. They were very oral in, the, in their tellings, and that's, so they, so that's what they did, the tradition. Of, and, and, and also, if you understood the flow in writing, a lot of it is focused on meaning and not detail. We're all like, what time did the planes hit the World Trade Center? What was the date on that? Whereas Hebrews and those guys would have been, what was the meaning of it? You get it? Some would say that, you know, well, I could get, I don't want to get into political garbage and what we believe, but you get what I'm saying? Like they would, they would look at it and go, what does that mean? Not, and the details were, but having said that, I'm going to give you a taste of that today by telling you, as I told my children yesterday, the parable we're going to look at. And I'm going to tell it in the way I'll tell it, just in my language. And the reason I know that's not dumping on the word of God is because the word of God, well, number one, the word of God is a person. It's Jesus Christ. Yeah. Number two, it was very much done orally. So sit back and listen to a story. So this guy was doing really well for himself and he had two sons. It was all good. This guy amassed some wealth. Things were going well. Well, the younger son came to him one day and said, hey, give me, you know how I'm part of this family. Give me my share of that now. I know normally we would wait until you die, but look, I got things I want to do. Give me my share. Now, that wasn't easy because at that time, he didn't go to the ATM. He had to sell sheep and cattle and goats and stuff. So it took time. So over time, the father did get what the son wanted and said, okay, this is the equivalent of what you would have in your inheritance, son. I've given you what you want. And he says, cool. And he went off into another land. And he just basically did whatever he felt like doing at the time. That's what he did. <clears throat> and he did that a lot. And the rule of declining returns kicked in. That's kind of cerebral, but next thing you know, he found himself in a bad way. And as life does once in a while, famines come, hard times come. Whereas Jesus would say, the storms would come. One day, things had gotten so bad in this dude's life, he found himself serving farmhands and not being like the cowboy. <laughs> he was the one feeding the, cow the, the, the pigs and stuff. Strangely enough, he was a Hebrew, wasn't even supposed to be around pigs, but he found himself in a real low spot. And he looked at the garbage they were feeding the pigs, like apple cores and stuff, and said, oh, I'm hungry enough, I just might eat that. <laughs> Y'all been hungry before? I mean, like, hungry? That don't look so bad. There's a few good bites left on that. <laughs> well, anyway, so he said, you know, this is stupid. This is really stupid because at my father's house, I mean, even the servants do better than this. I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. I'll go back and I'll say something like this. I'll say, you know, I, I know I chased what I wanted. I didn't even think of you anymore, Dad. But can I even just maybe join the house again as a servant? Because things have gotten hard and I've, I know I wronged you. I'm sorry. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give him that speech. So he went back to his house. And this was like a long trip, of course. And he was going. I'm sure he was rehearsing the speech on the way home. But on the way home, his dad saw him before he even got into the city gate, the area of where they lived. 
And the father ran out to him. And just like he'd said, as the father was approaching, the boy says, Dad, listen, I know I, know I went off and did what I wanted. I, I disregarded you and even the rules and God. And, and if you'll just make me, and midway through the speech, the father tackles him with his hug and says, you, servant, quick, get him a robe, get him the signet ring, and put sandals on his feet. Come on, let's go. We're going to throw a party. You, smoke some pork chops. Let's go. Let's do this thing. <laughs> smoke some pork chops with this dude because he was lost and now he's found. What up? Everybody see my son? And so they threw a party. And uh, let me see. What kind of musical reference can I make that's even in this decade? I was going to say Tone Loke or like the Hump to Hump or something was playing. Macarena, Cotton Eye Joe was coming. I don't know. YMCA was pumping out of the house. And the older brother who's in there mucking stalls at the father's house goes, why are they playing music out the house? They hired a DJ. Mock was there. Remember Mock? <laughs> We're definitely old. No one got that reference. So they hear the music and the brother's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And someone's like, yeah, your brother came home, bro. Really? Okay. And, and what do I smell? Those are smoked pork chops, pal. Like, he's going all out. What? I'm not going in there. Nah, forget that, dude. And the father's like, where's, where's my other son? Like, these two should be like, you know what I mean? Like, hugging and stuff. Like, and they find out. So he goes out and says, what's your problem, man? Hey, what's, what's going on? You. Oh, my gosh. You know, I've been here doing whatever you asked me to do, following all your rules, being good. And I never, you never even gave me, like a strip of bacon bro like and you're smoking pork chops for this fool do you know what he did when he was gone like forget that noise and that's the end of the story <laughs> is it not <laughs> well okay so let's look at it oh first 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 yeah brian's gonna show us something we're gonna look at luke the physician we're gonna realize that this story i just told you in aj's own way was the third story in a sequence of events. First is the parable of the lost sheep. Then Jesus says the parable of the lost coin. And, and this is midway through. You know, if she loses a coin, she calls her friends when she finds it and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one lost person, one sinner, one human being who, rep who repents. And then he jumps into the prodigal son, we call it. Do you understand that? That's important. Context is king, they say, in theo theological. So you got lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Boom, boom, boom. Forget chapters. Imagine reading it as a scroll or imagine doing what we just did and hearing it from Jesus' mouth as one talk. And if he's saying it three times, that's important, right? Bill, mow the lawn. Bill, mow the lawn. Bill, could you mow the lawn? Three times? I think the lawn really needs to be mowed. You get it? Bad, bad metaphor, but you understand what I'm saying. Three times in three different ways he mentions something lost and something found. And in my opinion, he expounds on it as Jesus does. Each one gets more and more uh, revelatory, tells more. <clears throat> I just have so much I could say, but let's do this. Stop for a second. I already have a problem because religion is on the bottom sentence. And I can't stand that. I don't, want, I don't want that shaping what we're doing. When you hear sinner and repent. First off, every person born, unless you were born of a virgin named Mary in Bethlehem, you're born into sin. So you might as well put human being there. Can we get there today? For, for, okay? You know what I love? This has nothing. I'm just going to give you my thoughts today. My shoulder is really aching. So I'm <laughs> sorry. 
I think it like popped out a joint and went back in quickly, but not today. So I'm going to give you my thoughts today. Just deal with it, okay? You got to get over the idea that you ever hear people say, oh, I'm going to go to hell for this, but you ever hear that? I better hear nobody here ever say that because nothing you say will ever send you separate from God. (laughs) It's what you do with Jesus Christ that will determine where you end up with God, near him or far away. And there's no degree of sinners. Uh, Lisa was talking to me today about Mormons. Mormons apparently believe in three levels of heaven. If you don't sin, you go here. But if you sin a little, you go here. If you sin a lot, you go there. Boy, that stinks of human man-made junk, doesn't it? Because nobody wants to think they're in the same league as Hitler. And nobody will think they're in the same league as Mother Teresa. Well, how about you stop looking at human beings? That's not what Jesus ever tells us to do. You understand? So a sinner who repents simply means this. A human being who changes direction. Repent just means change direction. And I don't know what background you came from. Some of you are reformed-ists. <laughs> Some of you are reformed-ists. And you think repent means grovel. Go find that in the Bible. It doesn't mean acknowledge wrongdoing or acknowledge where it is. But when, when John the Baptist pretty much first uses it, I'm, I'm probably fairly wrong there, but when John the Baptist uses it, what's his mission? He says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Here's what he's saying. Change the way you think about everything because he's coming. Make room for this new thing. Change the way you think about stuff. Y'all got the law and rules and probably three heavens. It's a joke to the, metaf- the, the Mormon thing. But there he is. Dun, 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 dun. And Jesus comes and he says, you better have that page clean if you really want the truth. Because I'm writing on it something you could never have foreseen. We good? Next slide. And now I know y'all been through this, but let's see what God's got to say. The man has two sons. The younger one said, Father, give me my share of the estate. Again, do you know what that communicates? That communicates, I don't want you, I want your stuff. That's what that communicates. Yeah, just give me. Slot machine God. I know we haven't talked in a while, God, but... And I'm not coming at you. Please, by all means, foxhole prayers. Pray for that strike at the bowling alley. I'm not against that at all. But God never said, like, look, I'm here to serve you. Put your money in the slot and push the button. He said this, I'm here to be with you. Right? What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. And then Holy Spirit goes another, goes in us, remaining inside of us. You understand that? So give me what you have for me is not the posture. I'll save that for the end because actually that's like the whole thing. I'm not coming at the folks who are still kind of standing on the outer layer. And someone gets sick that they love and they're throwing up those Hail Mary prayers or whatever. And that's, that was a weird cross metaphor because I went football and then realized it's actually a prayer. You get what I'm saying, though? I'm not coming at that. Don't, don't think that because at least you're talking to them. But what we're going to see in this parable, we're going to see uh, almost an evolution of relationship in this. I don't want to give too much away. So he set off for a distant country, squandering his wealth and wild living. Now, don't judge the wild living thing. We all do that, too. We go, he's the super thinner. And he was a lesser, and you're missing it. You're totally missing it. So this dude decided to live without restraint. I'm going to just say I'm going to live without restraint. That's, that, I'm going to do whatever my flesh feels like doing. So he spent everything. The w- storm came, and the winds blew, and the rains, and he began to be in need. Next one. <clears throat> so he went and hired himself a citizen of the country field. As I mentioned before, he betrays everything he grew up with even. Being around the pigs, get it? So that's like so many people in this life, and I get it, but I heard an interview the other day about 
lots of folks in their in their 20s is kind of when your theology, when your your mind, when who you are starts to solidify a little bit. If you want to look at biology, you'll say that it's when your frontal lobe finally finishes coming together. If you've got a teenage kid, they're not who they're going to be yet. Their brain's not even done developing. That's reality. And I think, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think men's brains actually develop a little slower in that area. Save your jokes. That's not the right, we're not the right church for that. <laughs> we're not a man bashing church. You get what I was going with that, Walt? They're all going to snicker. No snickering. So he defies everything he once knew. That's what we're looking at about this dude. He comes to his senses and says, right, boom, they have food to spare and I'm starving. Move to the next one. I'll set out and go back to my father. Now, we're going to spend a little bit of time on this because what does he do? He realizes he's in need. And when he goes back to the father, the first thing he does is he decides that he's not allowed to just go to the father. He doesn't have access to the father. He must have a good reason. And he must have a really good grovel. He must have a really good something to give in return. And that's where we're going to start today. Some, for some reason, well, I'll give you many reasons, but. A lot of us still believe we have to have reason and merit to approach Father God. A lot of us believe we have to have scuffs on our knees to approach Father God. Oh, Lord. Anybody ever start prayers like this? Hey, Lord, I'm, it's me. I'm sorry about... Anybody ever do that? I saw one smile just then. I won't address this person. But, well, Lord, forgive me for... You ever do that? Get in the habit of doing that first because we thought we need to be clean to get into his presence, right? <laughs> okay, there's another one. I have found myself saying, so automatically, well, Lord, forgive me for this, this, and this. Oh, wait, I didn't do that today. I'm just so used to. It's a worthiness issue. Do you understand what I'm saying? He even says right here, uh, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Okay. I would challenge you today. Are you worthy to be called a son or daughter of God? Don't. Okay, some people say yes. Let me ask you why you're worthy to become a son or daughter of God. Anybody can say it. It's one name. Jesus Christ. So he's wrong in his entire assumption here. He's got a bunch of assumptions that were wrong. But one of them is this. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son because of something I did. Now, I'm going to become the center of controversy right now because I want to ask you this. No, seriously. People don't like this. Last week, I brought up greasy grace and easy believism, which are not words I would ever use. They're disgusting in my mouth. When Paul says, follow me on this. When Paul says all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial, what do you think the word all meant? When we talk in the New Testament about we are no longer under the law, what do you think no longer means? When Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law, what do you think fulfill means? When he said tetelestai in Greek, which is it is finished on the cross, what do you think finished meant? When he says he took sin upon himself, became all of your sins, and fell into the grave, and he alone rose out of that grave, leaving your sins in the grave, what do you think that means? What do you think it means when the law of good and bad behavior went into the body of Jesus Christ on the cross, fell into the grave, and only Jesus rose, what do you think it means that the law is no longer something we are accountable to? You don't want to get there. That's the thing. As human beings, we don't want to get where I'm going with my point. 
Some of us want to go, and I'm not coming at you, but some of, wanna, some of us want to go and be Mormons, where are we? Let me see if it works with t- doing this top button. Looks pretty awful, right? <laughs> Hi, I'm here to work for what I'm given. I can't just accept it, but I'm here to work for it. If I just told you that the law of good and bad, thou shalt and thou shall not, if Jesus fulfilled it and put it in the grave, why does he think the things he does can make him unworthy? No? Is anybody following me? Because that is what? Is that the law or is that grace? It, no, no, no. Is it the law or grace to think about performance mattering? Right. But listen to me. I have a dreadful news for you all. Law tries every day to creep into your relationship with God. And it has. Because I've never lived a single day where it's not crept into mine either. He thinks that what he did made him unworthy. Question. In Christ Jesus, did it make him unworthy? But what you know about Jesus Christ. If you say yes, then you have the power to save you by your behavior. And you have become a God. If you say no, then Jesus Christ will be the only reason you end up in eternity and have eternal life right now. Here's the weird thing about, and again, some churches will sit there and go, greasy grace. If you believe you no longer have to perform good or bad, that it no longer matters, then you'll just sin. What? No, really. Listen, let's, let's go real deep today. You don't have to look at me if you're uncomfortable. And I'll look up here. If you can do anything you want because Jesus paid for every sin of yours, past and present and future, because all of your sins were in the future when he died, if you can do everything you want, why does that make you feel uncomfortable? Well, that that can't be right. And then you jump to what? I'm going to go out and do something horrible? Like, we're uncomfortable with it, though. We are. We're like, well, if you say, AJ, if you say grace covers all your sins, then people are just going to, okay, stop. Number one, eyes on your own paper. I'm talking about you right now. Because if, if you've still got to mind your P's and Q's, gotta, 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 then you're back under the law. Do you see why? Okay, I'll get there. The Apostle Paul sees a group of people going, oh, we're set free from sin by Jesus. He did it all, but y'all still got to get circumcised again. And Paul goes, if you're going to do that, then go the whole way and castrate yourselves. I'm quoting the Bible, guys. I didn't make that up. Because he's like, if you do that, then it'll be what? It'll be what Jesus did on the cross and your circumcision that saved you. Whoa. Does Jesus share glory? Should he share glory? So if it's the cross of Jesus Christ and I stop swearing that made me worthy, then you get the praise. Even if it's 1%, then you get it. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is hard to figure out. No church has ever nailed this, I don't believe. I don't believe any specific part of the body of Christ has ever gotten this. And I believe today, Father, I ask that you'd keep me out of error. I'm not trying to do anything but really relay to you the errors that were in the Son's view of the Father. Because it's in both of us, too. We're going to get to the older brother who actually ends up with the worst fate at the end of it all. But you have to understand something. Last week, we read dramatically that book where Christ commands sin to come into his body and become sin. He drinks the cup in the garden of Gethsemane. He commands the law and puts that to death and fulfills that. If you let 5% of the law back into your faith, 
I'm not coming at you. I'm telling you the truth because I love you. You are undermining what Jesus did on the cross. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to say this is not just about self-deprecation. We do this in the Christian faith. Oh, well, you know, I just, I feel good feeling like a worm all the time. I've gotten used to feeling not good enough. Do you understand what I'm saying? But what we're really saying is this. I'm looking at me and I'm not looking at Christ Jesus anymore. And then you know what you do when you hear somebody like me say what I just said? Then you feel bad about yourself and it's back about you. The whole point is this, man. Just look at Jesus. In, in, in the Old Testament, they were getting bitten by snakes and they were dying. And God says something really strange. He says, take your, take your brass, make a snake statue out of it, put it really high somewhere, and then raise it up. And so if y'all get bit by snakes, look at the, look at the serpent, you'll be healed. People are like, okay. A couple thousand years later, Jesus goes, I'm that brazen serpent. That was prophecy of me. It was a type of me. Look upon me and you'll be saved. Do you understand that? It really is. It was a model of Jesus Christ. Look anywhere else for any other meaning. It's not there. And Jesus tells you why. You look to that and what was done on that cross on a hill. Get it? The serpent on a hill. This on a hill. By the way, that's where we got our, you see ambulances going around. You'll see the serpent around the thing. They screwed it up. It's supposed to only be one and not two. Because the, the symbol they actually have is the symbol for commerce. <laughs> Which is funny for our medical industry. But anyway, thank you. Yeah. Look, look upon the cross. Here's the problem. When we start looking at the wild living and the, eating the pigs, you start looking at you again. Let's read it again. I've sinned against heaven and against you. In other words, the law tells me what I did was bad and I didn't f keep the law. Therefore, I've sinned. You'd be right if it were if it were Thursday before Friday. You'd be right maybe even on Saturday, but not after Easter Sunday. According to the law, I've sinned against heaven and against you. If Jesus took sin upon himself on the cross and ended it by having it swallowed up in death and paying for all of your sins, then is that an accurate statement? I went and I did things apparently you don't think I should have done and it counts against me as a sin. Now, you got to, listen, just suck on this for a while and you got to come up with your own stuff. I'm not here to have you conform to my thoughts of what you're supposed to be or anything to belong in this church, nothing like that. But here's the thing. If you're still holding yourself against some sort of law, then we have a problem and you're going to end up falling on either one side of these brothers. And it's like Bruce Stone says, it doesn't matter if you fall on the left or the right off the bridge, you're still going to get wet. We're still going to live lives that are falling short of the glory of God. Does that make sense? Anybody ever been on the treadmill of performance for a long time? There's one strong hand, two strong hands, and I know me too. This is what it gets you. <clears throat> I looked at my behavior today and I felt short of your glory, God. Therefore, I'm not worthy. Well, number one, every day you live your life will fall short of the glory of God. How? I gotta be careful there. How unglorious would God be if you could be like him? Even one day of your life. Would he really be worthy of our praise if you could even live up to his standard? But it's if you... If you're still using that yardstick, it's always going to lead you to unworthy or proud. That's it. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. 
So he went to his father. Now, everybody talks about this, and it can't be overstated. Obviously, the father in this is a metaphor, a reference, a type of Father God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Stop separating them, by the way. Time out. Time out. Time out. Time out. (sighs) So as we looked at Jesus on the cross last week in that book, which was fantastic, why do we think that it was God's idea and Jesus walked it out? Why do we think it was the father who says, Mike, follow me on this one. Why do we think it was the father going, go to it, boy, and Jesus going, oh, shucks, do I have to? Okay. If we even let a percent of that come in, we're taking away from the oneness of God. Do you know who created the plan to bring, to bring Jesus to? Jesus did. Because never one moment was he ever separate from the Holy Spirit and the father. So he didn't say, like, are you sure, Dad? Okay. He knows everything the Father knows. They're one. Echad is the word. They're one. If we realize the oneness of God, well, we're going to understand this too. So this, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So as we're doing this, I want you to, I want you to pretend that the Father is Jesus Christ. I do. I want you to pretend the Father's Jesus. Because if we keep separating them, we're not going to understand. If I lose you today, that's fine. Just take what you can get. So he got up and he went to, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father had been searching for him every day. Because the only way I'm going to see somebody down at the lobster house is from looking for him, right? Saw a turkey walk through my yard not long ago. We're all eating dinner. I'm going to tell you what happened next. <laughs> I'll tell you what we have for dinner the next day. <laughs> the smoker. Um, I was searching for him. I saw him because I was searching for him. So here, here you have people listening to this that think that God, who's also Jesus, they think that Jesus would stop searching for someone who's just doing whatever they want. He's living his life, doing whatever he wants. He's not following the law. There's no way God would search for him. Now, is that right or is that wrong? That's terribly wrong. Then why two years ago in a summer camp did I hear someone say, if you have sin in your life, God can't hear you? And then he ended the message. I mean, that is in the Old Testament, but what? What's it say on the bottom over here? He came from the Father full of grace and truth. Truth is, we think that, just like this guy, we think that if we live a certain way, God will stop looking for you. Just like your dad used to say, you made your bed, you lie in it. Chickens have come home to roost, you, you reap what you sow, whatever. And yet the father in this is, is looking for his beloved son. And you're going to see that, no, it doesn't look like what he did disqualified him from his love at all. At all, at all, does it? Let's go to the next one. He threw his arm around him and kissed him. Number one, for that Hebrew man, uh, some of you have heard this too bad. There's a couple of people who haven't. For a Hebrew man at the time to run was disgraceful. Because he would have had to take his robe and he would have had to tuck it up in his loins and he would have had to run. And to do that in front of his servants would have been very shameful. Sort of like at the hospital when you got to get up and go potty and they got no thing in the back. And you're like, oh, my family's right there. I'm a grown man. <laughs> Enjoy the view. Like, it's shameful, right? The father takes shame upon himself to go get the, the son. You following? Father shames himself to go get the son. And then what, does he, then what does he do? He starts his speech. He wants to, Julie, he wants to work to get 
into the father's favor and love. He feels like he has to do something. I got to do something, right? I have to do. Boy, he is just shackled to the law, isn't he? I got to say this speech. I got to convince him to love me. Anyone ever feel like they got to convince God to love him or give him another chance because it's 665 times I've done it? Well, apparently, there's something off about that line of thinking. Father, I've broken rules. I've broken the law against heaven and against you, which there's something in there too, by the way, because they used to swear by heaven, swear by the throne, swear by blah, blah. His, His tradition is showing. His churchiness is showing right here which gives you an idea of where maybe he's got some of these ideas. That's deep. That'll play. I'm no longer, because of what I've done, worthy to be called your son. Be called your son. But then the father takes over and does what only the father can do. Disregards your crap and loves you anyway. And you think you've got to walk through your hoops of religion, and when you let him, you're going to find out he's standing there the whole time. That's what you're going to find out. It's when you can look and see him through grace and take down the law that you'll see he's standing there. He never left you. He never abandoned you. That's what you saw because of the lens you had. So he does this speech. I got to do something. I got to work. I got to knock on doors. I got to do whatever to get. But the father, (laughs) you know what's funny too? Don't believe God loves you because of what he says. Don't do that. Because he never asked you to believe he loves you by what he says. He says, Believe I love you by what I do. For God so loved the world, he said I love you. For God so loved the world, he sent someone to say I love you. No, that's all wrong. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, part of himself, the oneness, so that whoever believes in him and looks upon him will be saved and safe in relationship with him. If this is bouncing off you, fight it. If it's old news, fight it. This never becomes old news. So the father springs into action as soon as the son gives him an opportunity to love him. Oh, that's good. You hear that? (laughs) Me too. What did I say? The father springs into action as soon as the son gives him an opportunity to love him. He says this. Bring the best robe, life and life to the fullest, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Stop. (sighs) Cover up. Cover my son. Cover my son in me. All the stuff he's, the stains of his life, the regrets, the things he's walking back into my presence with, I will deal with them. Do you follow that? So cover his shame and nakedness. No more of that in my presence. It's not required. So first thing you have is you have a robe and it puts it on him. There's something there, I can tell you that, because robes always have something. But I want to focus today on the ring. Because the ring would have been the signet ring of his family. It would have had, let's say, if it's the Daniels family, it would have had like a D and our family crest on it. And anybody who has this could go trade and buy things in my name. So let's say Alex and Izzy were grown up and I was off away and a vendor comes to the farm. They've got the signet ring. They can speak for me. They have the power and authority of their dad. Do you understand that? You ever been somewhere and like the boss is gone, but the manager will come sign for something? Right? Do you get it? That's what we're talking about for this household. I told you he was wealthy in the beginning, didn't I? Or in my little rendition, I did. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then he puts the ring of a son on him just like that. Get it? Okay, but we really got to get it. Because he was just got done doing whatever the heck he wanted. 
He just got done breaking all the laws, breaking all the rules, doing everything that human beings would say would disqualify him. And the first thing his father does is say this, come here, you're mine. No, but you don't understand. No, I really do understand, but you're mine. And that flies in the face of religion like a backhand. How can it be? How can that be? And they put sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Father, you still want good things for me even though I jacked my whole life up? There are people who, well, I've had people even in my own family who have died in their addictions. I've had people die and not come out of it. They, they wrote it right down, down into the grave. And yet, the Father God still wants good things for every single person? You get it? But the person is convinced, convinced that what they've done has disqualified them. Father God, this is the third parable in a row pertaining to the same thing where the second that person allowed the Father to love them, the Father loved them and blessed them. Do we understand that? Now, let's get to the next point. I don't want to keep beating that to death. I think you got that one. This is the way less... Uh, yeah. This is the way less popular one. He celebrates because this person was dead and is alive again. See, because guess what? Just chasing what you think you... You know, chasing anything apart from God leads to death. God is, God is life, guys. That's the reality of it all. And we looked at it last time. If you weren't here when I read out of that book, the battle going on on the cross was not good versus evil. It was death versus life. Death comes to swallow Jesus up. And the problem was Jesus had never sinned, so death had no right to him. Which, if you think about it, was Jesus ever going to die on earth having never sinned? And why? Well, Mary Beth, how could death come for him? Because the wage of sin is death. Oh, can I go deep for a second? Man fornicated with sin and gave birth to death. That's original, so you can throw that down. I said that yesterday for the first time. Man was in holy matrimony with God, committed adultery with sin, and they had a baby called death. Oh, that's so good. Y'all don't need to get that. And then death said this, anyone who dances to my tune, I have a right over them. Every human being danced to the tune, except one. So on the cross of Christ Jesus, Jesus commands death to him, and death starts to, yeah, oh, wait, yeah. And sin, death can't touch him because he hasn't danced the tune of sin. Get it? I may have screwed that up, but you understand? Because I'm just formulating it in front of you. So how could death take him? There's rules in the universe against it. So in my opinion, had Jesus not commanded death to take him, he might even still be alive today. Do you get it? I know. Listen, don't settle on it now. Go study it. But what, why would death have been allowed to, to kill Jesus, the sinless one on earth? I don't think it would have. Unless he, creator king, commanded it to. Do you get it? Hey, listen, don't settle on it now. Don't take my word for it. But by the way, that whole cheating on God thing, that was dope. Somebody should write that down. Give me credit, though. So let's look at the second one. This is a big deal. Life and death. Yeah, that's what I was talking about, life and death. So they began to celebrate that that person has gone from 
their own way to any way without God, he stepped back in, therefore was dead and is alive again. I don't care how imperfectly you walk with Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're alive. And it's just never going to end. That's all. We had to put our cat to sleep on Thursday. Um, but you know what the thing is? Like, I truly believe that life springs forth from God. And you can debate whether or not kitties are going to be running around in heaven, but I do believe this. That specific cat was given life by God. And that force of life, I don't then believe ever goes over and is destroyed. Where does it go from here? I don't know. I don't believe that cat has an eternal spirit. But do I believe that that cat is no longer anything? No, because it once had life, which is the fingerprint of God. And I don't believe God's going to then remove it and just goes into nothingness. Okay, suck on that for a while. Deal with that. But does life ever move over into death? I don't think in the natural world. We can move over into death when we walk away from God. But anyway, so he comes back in. Stop it. I'm getting my final point here. We get to the older son. Now, everybody in the old church world loves this old parable because y'all got a son who's a prodigal. First off, we're the one that made, uh, made that up. No, nowhere in this is the name prodigal. Have you noticed that? And why would you name this parable over the son? It's all about the father. It has everything to do with the dad. Well, settle down, cowboy, because here comes the hard part. <laughs> Meanwhile, the older son or Spoiler, the religious one, was in the field, keeping the law. <laughs> he came near the house, and he heard Humpty Hump going, heard the YMCA, and he said to this, what, is, what, the, what the deal? And he said, your brother's home, man. God, your dad's welcomed him. Your dad welcomed him and blessed him, in fact. Next, please. He's allowed him back in. He says, what in the cheese? The other brother came angry. He says, no, I'm not, I'm not going in there, man. So his father went out and said, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, look. All... And he says, look, all these years I've been keeping your law. I've been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders. Never. I'm spotless and sinless. Yeah, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You know, that sounds like a good Friday night, doesn't it? <laughs> young goat! What are you going to do with it? <laughs> like, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you fill the cat, cat, calf for him. All right, time out. Now, the reason is, this is not popular and I know, uh, okay, so years ago, I helped this girl, she's a woman, I helped her uh, formulate a message about this, and she gave the message to a really traditional church, not putting anything on anybody, and they, they asked her very politely to never do that again, because you know what she said, you know what we wrote for this message? This is the more dangerous portion of this parable, because he's the guy who thinks he did good and kept the law. And he, therefore, he deserved. And it is my opinion that you're better off being the first one than the second one. This one rears its ugly little head and says, these are your religious folks. They're not interested in relationship with God. They're interested in, I've been doing my part. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. And look what he actually says. All these years I've been slaving for you, making it sound like it was not joyful to serve the dad at all. As a matter of fact, and he says, I've never disobeyed your orders. Now, we understand this is a metaphor for f the father is father God, right? The guy just said he never sinned. Look at the screens. I never disobeyed. You mean to tell me you kept the law perfectly, brah? Really? That's, what, that's where we are right now? And that's the delusion of religion. 
that's the delusion of, of these cults like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, which are really fast growing. People want to earn it. You want to know where you stand. You want to have, ready, control over it. You know why people call grace slippery and greasy and all that? Because you can't control it. Like a flood, his mercy reigns, unending love and an amazing grace. And you don't get to have your sticky little fingers on grace. And it drives us nuts, doesn't it? And if you really understand grace, then you never, ever look at your brother and say, I'm better than him. Or you never, ever look at your brother and go, I'm not as good as him. Because both these brothers missed the main thing, relationship with their dad. Do you get that? All that time, number one, he says this, everything I have is yours. The kingdom of God is yours, says Jesus in other places. Now, it's, you have access to the kingdom of God. Not only do you have my stuff, you have my healing, you have my protection, you have my peace and grace, right? You, you, you have all that. You know you do. Look at, look at the rearview mirror. You know you've had it. But you have me. And honestly, if you have me, then you have need for nothing else. But the one brother was too busy chasing meaning out there. He was too busy chasing meaning in his whims and desires. And the other brother was too busy chasing meaning in structure, routine, and working for it. And meanwhile, the dad was there the whole time. One of the things, guys, I'm not, I hope I'm not pounding on anybody. I'm not meaning anybody. Okay. Because here's the thing. I don't want you to look a certain way at all. I don't care. I want you to look at God. I want you to look at Jesus Christ. I want you to stop looking in the mirror and stop looking left and stop looking right. That's where we're missing intimacy with God. Does that make sense? <sighs> Stay with me, guys. Let's do a couple more minutes on this. Because this guy's the one. Spoiler alert. Let's go to the next slide. Let's finish the parable. My son, the father said, time out. Even his crappy, dogmatic religiosity doesn't disqualify number two kid either. Because look at the top of it. I just realized this. Still calls him son. So I want to make a monster out of him. I do. Can I just tell you that? Because I, I really am allergic to church and religion in a lot of ways. But I can't do that now. Because the father, even though he sees his religious tirade, says, my son. Oh, that doesn't even disqualify him. Grace is uncomfortable. <laughs> right? When it's for somebody else, I don't like it. You're always with me. Everything I have is yours. You had access to me this whole time. But we had to celebrate and be God because this brother of yours was dead and alive again. He was lost and is found. And I don't think there's a 33, is it? Problem. That's the end of the parable. Okay, so real quick. You got two brothers chasing two different things, thinking it's going to make them safe, thinking it's going to give them life and fulfillment. Which one was reconciled to the dad? The first one. Does it say the second one ever agrees to go into the party and is reconciled to the dad? Ergo, therefore, I believe the second posture is the more dangerous one. Because the wild, living, reckless one who opened his heart to God got saved. The staunch, well-behaved, moral one who tried to do it on his own did not get saved. I'm just relaying, man. Give me a second. Okay, yeah. Do you know who gets grace in the Bible? Think, let's go to New Testament. You know who gets grace in the Bible? Anyone who asks for it. That's who. And so what's funny is, well, this isn't funny. 
counseling a married couple a long time ago, long time ago. They're not in this place. One of them was the problem. Like, <laughs> one of them was living in a way that was destructive and it wasn't conducive to a marriage. And they got to the end of this marriage. And, and the reason was that, yeah, I mean, this this person was was very dramatically the cause of most of the issues. And so that happened. And But what happened next is, that, you know, even as the marriage dissolved, this person bowed their knee to Jesus Christ. This person started to change and see fruit. The other person didn't. This person's life down the road ended up in a wonderful, much better place. And this person just remained bitter and remained where he or she was. And if you look at fairness, this person had committed more of the problems and harm. But that's the kingdom of the world that would say it's wrong. The kingdom of God says this, who gets grace? The one who asks. I believe that Judas Iscariot could have walked up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Have mercy upon me. And according to what he's shown us, he would have been given grace. And where much grace is needed, much grace shows up. And that's what we see in this parable. So I think that's pretty much all I've wanted to say today. This week, man, check your heart for you, not for me, not, not to belong, not to fit in. If, if 5% of the law wants to come back into your life, don't let it in. And likewise, if you know that you're the type of person who, if someone over there were to get God's grace, it would make you feel uncomfortable because God, don't you know what they did? Don't you see how bad they are? We're all guilty of this to a degree. Then I think we need to hold this up before God as well. Because if we're staring at that, we're missing out on the main thing, which is the Father. <laughs>